Good morning, Brad. How are you? Frank, it's Monday. Uh, it's sunny behind me. Um, and I'm feeling good for the week because it's like 40 days to the end of the year. We can all have a break. I'm going to make your day a lot more challenging because I'm going to read out a quote to you and I'm going to ask, to you, ask you what you think about this. Go on, then. Uh, it's actually from a book called The Adaptation Advantage. And there's something that it says in there that's the following. Accidental culture occurs when culture evolves without intention and almost always proves toxic. Every great culture has a sense of purpose that the company and its leaders must model daily. Identify and eliminate anything anti-culture. I love the opening as well, right? The idea of an accidental culture ultimately proves toxic because what it tells us straight away is that if we don't focus our attention on how we want to operate, ultimately, if we just let it go along, mm, that way lies madness. Um, and I also love this idea that every great culture has a sense of purpose. This idea that the company, the leaders have to model this every single day to create an identity. And, and, you know, we've talked a lot during these lockdown months, you know, eight months in, nine months in now to this lockdown period, where actually if we don't have this kind of culture, if we don't have this sense of belonging and purpose that drives our every action, actually it becomes quite hard to maintain and sustain motivation and momentum. Like, uh, for you, when you read that quote out, which, which words jump out at you? Very clearly, and I never thought about that, I have to confess, this labeling some cultures as being accidental mm. cultures, you know, was reminding me a little bit about that if you let a culture evolve on its own, because nobody has even a sense for it or wants to assign it a purpose or never did before. Um, what happens is that you very often get into a culture where, I don't know, the, the survival of the fittest kind of culture. And that always, I can see that how that actually always ends up being toxic. Mm -hmm. uh, so even well-intended uh, people that come into the company that maybe have a different vision of how they would want to live culturally at work will have a really hard time also in the end um, making the commitments that are necessary to help drive the company along because I think without a culture you're lacking certain elements of um, support something that cannot really be, be seen probably not even be measured that supports everybody in the way on how they want to work with each other but also for their own you know, sense of identity as part of this, uh, this company. This for me raises a, another layer to how do we operate within lockdown? Like what are the opportunities for us, whether we're leaders running teams or whether we're team members as part of teams? You, know, you and I have talked a lot over recent months uh, about how do teams function and operate? We run team building sessions together with teams where we explore what can the teams do? And it's interesting, isn't it? When, when you aspire for a culture, unless everybody buys into that culture, it fails, it becomes accidental. 
and therefore becomes that that toxic toxicity that you talk about and I don't know about you but with people I'm talking to right now everyone is quite tired they're a little fatigued with lockdown oh it's yes so much honestly every everybody I talk to is and also the, the the recipes that everybody was thinking up in the beginning on how can we make up for the lack of social connection that we used to have in the office with replacing it with you know, daily huddle calls and um, you know a WhatsApp group here and uh, I don't know standing meeting at the end of the day where people can just exchange their thoughts and drink a beer together or whatever people were thinking up. It, it's gotten so much that it's actually tiring people. And I'm not sure, to be honest, if these recipes were truly addressing what needed to be addressed, because otherwise I think we wouldn't have this kind of fatigue right now. I think the recipe didn't, either didn't work or wasn't complete. There was something missing. Or, or maybe it was a coping mechanism for the moment, but that moment has now passed. Could also be. Because my feeling is they were, they were helpful mechanisms, strategies for helping drive resilience in the beginning. But resilience by definition is kind of that, you know, like that bounce back ability that when something bad happens, you can bounce back. So let's support the team. Let's have a huddle. Uh, let's not talk about work. Let's just chat to each other. But, but now, eight months in, it's, it's not about resilience. It's about endurance. It's about long-term, no end in sight, keep going every day. And I don't know about your clients that you're talking to, but mine are working 10, 12 hours on Zoom calls or WebEx calls, and they don't want another <laughs> team call. Same, same bread. And, and in addition also, I think people would, love to find the courage to say, hey boss, stop writing me WhatsApps on how I am. It's the 10th one today. I'm fine. I know oh, you right. care about me. But you see all these managers, you know, I mean, I said with a smile, right? Because I know both of us wrote uh, blogs and posts and infographs on this, but you know, I'm still seeing people writing infographs on, you know, how to run virtual teams in lockdown. Uh, yes. And I think if I see another one on LinkedIn, I'm going to actually bang my head on, on, on the brick wall uh, <laughs> yes. before I read it. Um, but it raises the question, right? You know, if you are sitting in, in a, a leadership role, if you're sitting in a, in a team, how do you keep moving forward with motivation and commitment? Because ultimately, we still have to get results. So that manager who's sending three, four, five texts a day, hey, Frank, how are you? Whether or not it's authentic or whether or not they're following the script of you know, a training session, it's done from the right purpose. It's done from the right point. But now I think we've come to this moment where we have to relook at what we adopted six, seven months ago, see what we learned from it, and create new adoptions for the next stage. 
because you know the definition of madness, what was it Einstein said, you, you, you do the same thing over and over again if you expect a different result. <laughs> and I think what lockdown has done, it, it's kind of created a, a world where things become so intense so quickly that ultimately what we need to do is take that very kind of cognitive approach that says, look, that worked having drink sessions every Friday with the team. It was great for the first six months, but now we're all in the habit of working from home. We don't actually want to sit on the phone for another hour at the end of the day. I just want to get off my computer and go into my house or go from the bedroom to the living room and watch some TV or whatever it is. So my question is, what, what can we learn from the last six months and bring it forward and say, right, that had worked. It's not working now. So what are my new behaviors I'm going to adopt? How do I create a sense of belonging in my team? Whether I'm the team member or the leader, I don't mind. But how do I create that sense of belonging so the team's momentum and motivation moves forward? How do I make sure I build and develop from a growth perspective, either personally or as a leader, my team, so that they all feel as though they're growing in their roles? Yeah, you know, do you think, do you see this also that these new questions that you were saying are actually the old questions of, uh, from way before the pandemic and the whole working from home thing that was forced? Uh, is that you go back to the fact, what is it that, what, what is the fundament of the motivation of any individual to persevere, to push through, to do the hard stuff, although they probably don't really have to? And you know what? Maybe we, what we need to do now is we need to begin to connect us individually, but also everybody else if we can help it. Right. So we need to connect again with with the reasons as to why we're doing what we're doing, why we are at the place that we are at right now, and why we want to actually stay and keep doing that. So I'm wondering, Brad, so for example, also for maybe from a personal memory, um, I'm sure there is a story somewhere in your life where you actually were somehow motivated to do something that was really tough, really hard, but you found the motivation in yourself. What was it that, maybe if you can think of such a moment, what was it that made you push through? Uh, again, it, it was knowing that why I'm doing it. I can think really clearly, right? I can go back to 2012 and I had been working for five or six years, um, aligned and collaborating as an associate trainer as well. So yes, I was running CTG but I was also doing a lot of work with uh, an associate group. And I realized actually that I just wanted to focus on my business rather than the associate work. But there's a risk attached to that when you're uh, running your own business because you're losing the income, right? It's guaranteed income, so it's a big risk. And the perseverance came from actually having the courage to say, I'm going to leave the associate work no more. I'm just going to focus on what I'm doing. And then suddenly 50, 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week, it's all about what are you trying to do? 
And the only thing that kept me moving forward was the why, the purpose. Why am I doing this? What am I trying to build? What am I trying to create? You posed it as a beautiful question on LinkedIn about six weeks ago when you asked people about what their legacy would be. And this was one of the things that was in my head a lot. What's the legacy here, Brad? What yeah. are you trying to do to create a fun, inspiring, engaging development approach that people will want to buy into globally? And individually. Right. Every single one, right? This, so, was, this, this was where the perseverance came, right? Because it was every day, it was relentless. Yeah, and then I, I buy into this 100% bread and into the reason that you were just laying out for being able to, to you know, stick to the, the route that, that you were on, the, the path that you've chosen and so on. Uh, it is that you have a connection as to why you're doing it. It's much harder if you just do it for do something for the money, I would say. There has to be a deeper, some sort of deeper purpose with this. It doesn't have to be, I don't know, world-shattering, philosophical, not necessarily for everybody. But you need to know why you actually go to work in the morning and you do what you're doing. And I think that's something where uh, leaders can help. And also for themselves, they need to probably rediscover this a little bit, is to understand why are you doing what you're doing? Mm. And one is, is this, you know, creating this sense of belonging for yourself and maybe also help other people discover that sense of belonging. Um, as well as, I would say, the, you know, the, the alignment with the goals of what is it that we're trying to achieve. In a, in, a, in a grand scheme of things, of course, it is, why am I part of this company? What is this company doing? Um, why is it worth for me having their place? But it's also on a, on a more atomic um, size, so to speak, is that maybe I want to know what is it that makes me want to be part of this team? What is this team achieving? What is this team contributing to maybe the, the larger goal? But you can also find a lot of you know, purpose or reason for you, the why, for wanting to show up at work in your particular team that you're working in, where you feel a sense of belonging to um, the people that are inside this team, but also about what are they contributing. Yeah. I would say. Uh, and I think if you can drive from a leadership point of view, if you can drive people to tap into that purpose, that why, with what they're really passionate and what they're really good at, I think it can help create this sense of belonging, this sense of growth. You know, I remember, Frank, someone gave me a book in 2011 on the Japanese principle of Ikigai. And this idea of finding your true, your true path. In right. life. And it connects what you're really passionate about, what you're really talented at, but what you can also make a living at. Because if you do what you're really passionate at and really good at, it won't ever feel like work. So if you can earn money at it, you reach this kind of nirvana of your, your ikigai. And I really felt at the time when I read this that it, it spoke to me. It was like a, a big aha moment. What's, what's my ikigai? 
And I wonder if teams can kind of come up with their own moments in time of, you know, finding their, <laughs> their icky guy, right? You know, looking at what they're really good at doing, um, what they're really passionate about doing. And obviously then it's about driving results. <laughs> so the business can, can make the money because ultimately, you know, we have to also acknowledge if you're just really happy and you're really, you know, good at what you do, but you, you don't make the results, it does create a problem in the future. Yeah. And, you know, um, in, back in the past, I think a lot of uh, teams have been doing this, well, ho hopefully also collaboratively. There, I mean, even before the pandemic, some teams were actually sitting together and would have a workshop together and try to jointly define what's their what's their mission what's their purpose what's their why that's not new this was all happening in 18 and 19 and so on so that was the 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 why here so to speak uh, but i think it might make sense to revisit that with teams right so everybody's has been in the the panic and the anxiety of the pandemic and and we had all these other little recipes to keep people together also socially and i think these things such as the, the, the why and the purpose and the mission and the vision of the team, they need to be revisited. Mm. You need reminders from time to time, especially when you've been knocked off course a little bit, as to why you're here. And, and why I like that uh, and the need to revisit it is one, we should be re revisiting it regularly anyway, because if it was relevant in 2018, it doesn't mean it's relevant in 2020 or 2021. That's without even thinking of how the landscape has shifted. But what it does is it gives teams actually a purpose in going into that conversation. I know from workshops I've been running on team purpose recently that the, the landscape of the pandemic plays a huge part in what they're trying to create. But when, when teams come up with a statement of purpose, which links the contribution that they're making with the impact of that contribution, you create a sense of belonging, growth and alignment that drives commitment. Yes, I agree. Without question. But in a, there, there's more than that, isn't there? So I was wondering, uh, Brad, if you would draw an iceberg and with the above the water part and the above, uh, below the waterline mm -hmm. and the, the top of the iceberg is uh, exceptional results and strong commitment to those. What would be the fundament that would carry this along? Yeah, so what's it under the waterline that we can't always see, right? I think it starts with a sense of belonging. I think there's three elements, but the first for me would be belonging. How do we get the team to feel as though they actually operate together with a shared sense of purpose. They feel a connection to each other that extends beyond the number or the results or the challenge. They feel that connection. I sense that when you were saying that belonging for you is one of those you know, under the waterline pillars for the iceberg, you meant something even a little bit deeper in the sense of um, belonging to um, the, what the company stands for or what the team is contributing or how they're helping others or the customer exactly. and so on. I, I believe that's what you 
were you meant to go to? I think part of the, the, the social side of things that you're referencing there and that I'm referencing there are how you help sustain that sense of belonging. Yes. The mm -hmm. actual aim of being part of something is I am part of something that I'm really proud to be involved and engaged with and I'm going to do everything I can to help drive this team across the line to achieve results because I believe in what it stands for. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but what makes me feel, one of the things that makes me want to work that hard for that team and that sense of belonging is for the social interaction pieces that I don't get. Now I'm not at work. And if you and I were standing having a coffee, uh, I'd be showing you my photos on my phone. Right. Probably. And now I'm just sharing them. Or we'd be yeah. talking on the way from the metro station. We'd be talking about the, the, the football scores or you'd be sharing stuff around the, you know, biking and motorcycling. And those conversations we're not having. So to feel part of something bigger than me and then to create the social connections that glue it together. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. So it's the, it's the bigger, deeper meaning, but it, then it's also the, um, the sense of connection that you have with the individuals. Right. That's, I guess, what you mean. As the, as the glue that keeps it together. Mm. And then in addition, what else is there under the iceberg? I think you said, did you say? Yeah, so I think there are three things. I think there's belonging, yeah. I think there's growth, and I think there's alignment. Uh, let's, let's look at growth, because I, I think, in, and you were a people manager for many years, more than a decade. How do we make sure that as individuals in the team, we have a personal and professional growth plan? One of the side effects I feel of lockdown is maybe some of those growth development conversations are not happening as much. Lots of how are you conversations, mm -hmm. lots of mental wellness conversations, rightly so, by the way. Uh, but what about, where's the stretch for you in the next three months? How do we build in a stretch so that your career keeps growing so that's not on pause? How do we make sure that individually and collectively the team growth is exponential so we don't just pause and say oh you know 2020 was a write-off so i think it depends on where you work probably uh you never have to worry about stretch targets i hope your company where that is always has been a given targets is the one part but i think the bigger question is uh how does the company or my the environment around me in general is helping me grow I don't mean maybe the higher sales target necessarily. I think it's more in the skills, mm -hmm. I would believe. It's more in the skills in my uh, personal development, my maturity, my, you know, how can I develop the strengths, the resilience, the new skills that I need? And how is, how is this system, this iceberg, so to speak, how is it supporting me in that? And this is where, as leaders, we need to step forward because, for me, anyway, this is where training and coaching really come into their own. 
And I think as leaders, this is where we need to leverage coaching as much as we can. You know, really getting people to be challenging the process. What in, in are the process also, you know? How many people are actually complacent in their development? Let, it, let me put it this way. Mm. And maybe they don't even really realize it. Mm. So there's a lot of potential to be developed. But I think that not everybody is so self-motivated. Not everybody wakes up in the morning with a growth mindset. Let's face it. Mm -hmm. You're right. For whatever reason. But there is, of course, a lot more to be had. So, so I think this is a, you're right in that companies can, through uh, coaching and a couple of other mechanisms, really encourage that these, uh, these potentials can be uncovered, even for the ones that aren't 100% self-driven. And there are a lot. And I don't mean this in any condescending way. It's just an observation. Not everybody is, uh, does have this kind of growth mindset and is asking for the tools and, and the help and the support that they figured out they need. But they are a little bit stagnant in, in their, how they view themselves also. And, and, and that's why work coaching can help greatly. Right. And I think as leaders, we need to make sure that we're creating opportunities for people that offers them development, growth, and support for that growth. Because actually, you're right. And, and for many people, actually getting through this period is enough of a stretch, along with, you know, results, that I think people might even be comfortable not looking at themselves for their development. And yet at the same time, you know, I'm sure you've noticed in your network, I see people posting certificates of training programs and qualifications they've been getting during lockdown because they've invested in themselves. Right. But this tells me that their organizations are not sharing that opportunity of, hey, listen, where can we develop? And when I say leaders must step forward, I think the way we show up as leaders is making sure that rather than sending five texts a day, hey, Frank, how are you? Maybe I spend a little bit more attention saying, hey, Frank, listen, let's not just spend the whole year doing. Where can you grow? Yeah, I like that, actually. Growth this conversation needs to take place. You know, Brad, I, re I remember that. Um, a lot of co companies actually do have great uh, growth open, uh, opportunities. They have a learning and development department, which has a huge catalog of offerings. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there's only a fraction of people who are actually voluntarily taking this, taking this offering. So I'm wondering, and let me theorize this a little bit. Let's say you have on the one hand side, the ideal you're part of an ideal team that establishes a sense of belonging to the company, its, its mission, but also the social connection with each other, uh, is a team that's based on uh, you know, trust, for example. And uh, through that, then also has these mechanisms of holding each other accountable and so on, not shy about constructive conflict, these kind of things. And everybody and the team is aligned to its purpose to the goals that, uh, that are part of their team, that are part of their contribution. 
And I'm wondering if those people that somehow then sit in the middle that are part of this team that is, that is carrying them because it's ideal in some way, wouldn't this ideal team then create some sort of positive, constructive group pressure to the little bit more complacent individual to also strive and do their best? And then perhaps through that positive pressure, also help this kind of associate that we're just talking about right now, help grow. Take the offerings that are there for learning, for trying out a new role, for expanding their skills, these kind of things. Isn't that the dynamic? Yeah, it's, it's, it's team think, right? It, 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 it allows us to use the, to leverage the skill of the team to help pull along the other members without a guarantee necessarily. But you know, the manager's, the leader's responsibility is I've always felt is threefold, right? It's to achieve the task, it's to build and maintain the team and it's to develop the individual. It's, it's three layers. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the John Adair model of, of management responsibility, task, team, and individual. And I think what you've highlighted there is how the team helps drive, you know, the connection with driving the individual. But we can't ever lose sight of those three elements, right? We must achieve the task. We must develop the individuals and we must build and maintain the team. And sometimes from your definition and example, if we build and maintain the team, it can, as a byproduct, develop the individual. Yes, and I think it is actually, I think it's a little bit underestimated this dynamic. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I think in practice, especially the higher you are in the hierarchy, you cannot anymore um, push and develop everybody individually. It will just even physically not be enough time right. to do it. So you need a different mechanism that is so, sort of self-supporting and I think building a really healthy team with, this, with a generally a sense of belonging and a good alignment uh, and general encouragement for, for growth, they will pull others along. They are inspiring to everybody else. Which so I would like. say really, to, to be honest, I would say for in this post, I wouldn't say post-COVID, we're not post-COVID, but let's say these couple of months into trying to figure out what do we need to do to keep, keep uh, people engaged, now it's time to go back for, for a leader in particular to review, do we have the right level of belonging? Is everybody clear on their, the alignment to the why and the purpose and the individual contribution and all these kind of things? And do I have the growth um, supporting elements in place so that we can together and individually thrive through the situation? Mm. That, I think that's what I would recommend at, in, at this time. Uh, I love that because, you know, you use the analogy of the iceberg. And, and I think what that does is it, it brings each of those elements underneath the water in, in equal measure will drive that level of engagement and commitment above the water line. 
Yeah, if you have that kind of growth mindset, if you look to work with the team collectively as well as individually, if you look to build up that sense of belonging and purpose and why and revisit it to make sure it's totally focused on what we're trying to do right now, you create that sense of alignment from expectations management to how as a team we're going to operate. All of those elements come together and create, for me anyway, a sense of pure focus and engagement that drives commitment. And that's where you get attention to results. I agree. This sounds very good. And maybe I just had this thought, I think we, I can connect this now back to the quote and we're in the beginning where we were talking about the accidental culture that ends up being toxic most of the time. And that, you know, great cultures have a sense of purpose. I think this fixes it. It, you know, it, it, it fixes it in the sense of it will prevent that a culture that is because it's now harder to maintain a culture because we're not so close uh, anymore. So, but if you have the fundamentals that we were just talking about, right? Yeah, this this culture will have a particular purpose. It will have standards on which it will build, and it will. It is probably your best bet from. De having your maybe once wonderful culture derailing into a toxic one. Mm. Uh, I, I love the way you brought this real talk full circle. We start <laughs> with the quote, we finish on the quote. That's pretty good. <laughs> Accidental culture can be evolved into pure focus culture by building growth, belonging and alignment to drive a level of commitment that ensures as leaders and team members, we role model the right behaviors and the right attitudes to both drive results and a sense of purpose. I love that. Amen on that. Frank, always a pleasure. <laughs> See you soon again. See you in the next one. <laughs>